you like a lot of football in your podcast, hold and give. How'd you like that one then? Eh? 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 Are there any other, like, biscuit songs that we can use for an intro? Pa-pa-pa, pick up a football. There we go. That's lovely. Anyway, <laughs> hello, welcome to the Hold and Give Football podcast with me, Ross Tweddle, joined as always by the Oracle, Jack Atkins, who I doubt knew, despite being an Oracle himself, that Philip Lahm avoided fouls for over a year of professional football. The Bayern Munich and Germany legend was a master in the reading of the game and went 13 months without giving away a foul between September 2015 and October 2015 in the Bundesliga, that is, by the way. Not all competitions. He was a scout in the Champions League, but in the Bundesliga, he was squeaky clean. It's it's almost like uh, Lam was very, very good at football. He was. Was when Pep used to play him in centre midfield initially, and people were like, "What the hell are you doing, Pep?" Do you remember um, Mark Lawrenson during one of the World Cup saying he? Who was he talking about? He was talking about one of the, the England fullbacks, and he's like, "Ah, oh, everyone says Lam's the best player, but he's not as good as whoever." Again, the anecdote falls down when I can't remember who he's talking about. But <laughs> it, it it remains anyway. Philip Lam was the best in the world in his position at the time as well, and everyone just gave Lawrence and, uh, a load of abuse on Twitter. So that was nice. Yeah, well, Mark Lawrence is so miserable, isn't he? He's one of the. He's like he reminds me of a cat. You know, imagine how a cat would talk. Right, well, hear me out on this one. Imagine how a cat would talk if they had a human voice. It would sound like Mark Lawrence. Uh, my cats wouldn't. But who would they sound like? Ken Dodd. Paul O'Grady, rest in peace. No, because they're, 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 they're little Geordie cats, aren't they? Ah, oh, fair from, enough. Yeah, so they'd sound like, they'd sound like, I don't know, Kevin Keegan twice. From Scarborough <laughs> and not from Newcastle. Anyway. I don't know. <laughs> one's from Gateshead from a bin. One's from somewhere, I don't know. From an actual bin? Yeah, she was a bin cat. Wow. Do you just pick yeah. her out the bin and then take her home? Uh, no, someone else picked her out of a bin, gave it to a vet, and then we said, could we have that really rubbish cat, please? And they were That's like, yeah. fair enough. They're the yeah. best ones, aren't they? The rubbish ones. Anyway, football's while you're here. Let's talk about some football. In the news list this week, of course, we had the Champions League final, Manchester City completing a historic treble. Um, yeah. Nobody said that before. A historic treble in defeating Inter Milan in the final. Bit of a... A nip and tuck sort of game, I guess. People in the trade might say it wasn't really as, as, as conclusive and as devastating as many people thought it would be before the final half, for example, uh, predicted 3-0 Manchester City. It mm. could have been maybe up there, but Inter Milan, how didn't they get on the score sheet? I've got no idea. Yeah, I thought City were there for the taking, really. But the sign of champions is not playing well and still coming away with a win, really. Yeah, and that's um, exactly what they did. Exactly, yeah, because you'll know all too well, like Newcastle's entertainers. They're entertaining, but at the end, you need those scruffy 1-0 wins, don't you, to really get over the line. Yeah, that's what they did with Rodri getting that goal in the second half. I tell you what, it was a... I don't know how I feel about the game. It was just... I'll tell you, I was seven sheets to the wind. I was absolutely pissed as a fart watching the game, so maybe this (laughs) analysis isn't going to be coming from a very good place. But City looked tired. Did City look tired to you? Yeah, definitely. Does it matter? Oh. Of course it doesn't because they won the game. But just we're trying to speak some analysis here. I think City looked tired and that's maybe why they didn't win the game as conclusively as some people might have thought they would have. Well, it's probably very hot in the Ataturk as well, wasn't it? So it's probably a, a cocktail of terrible situations. But like you said, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. They still won. Yeah. But um, just I think Aidan Gibbons put it as he was amazed to see Romelu Lukaku turn into a pub player. 
Um, That's very harsh. I mean, the it miss, is harsh, the, isn't the it? miss on Edison, like it's just hit the goalkeeper. If he puts it at a yard either side, it goes in. Mm. So it's and it was a bit of a reactionary header. Like it wasn't the most egregious miss in the history of football. It was a bad one for someone who cost as much as Romelu Lukaku does. But that one where it came back off the Denver bar and then Demarco, I think it was, uh, headed it back towards goal and it hit Lukaku on the back of the leg. He can't do anything about that. I think people having a go at Lukaku for that one especially are yeah. bang it of order, bang it. Of- Order. Are you still pissed? <laughs> no, I'm just trying to be Danny Dyer, which leads us on to the second Euro- European final of last week. Of course, it was the Europa Conference League final. People laugh at that competition, but I tell you what, I did a live stream on this very channel watching that game live. And when that final whistle went, I was like, oof, if this was Newcastle, I would take this without any shadow of any doubt. Silverware, silverware, isn't it? It's not like it's the old uh, Intertoto Cup. Uh, Silverware, European silverware. How long had West Ham waited for major honours? Since 1912. I don't know. I'm just trying to be Danny Dyer once again. (laughs) Since World Cup 66. Since West Ham won the World Cup. Um, You you could see that fan base into the players. It meant absolutely everything. And you can't, nothing to be sniffed at at the end of the day. Yeah, just before we move on, probably the uh, Conference League final, where do you put Manchester City's treble in the pantheon of things? Because you're a Liverpool fan, by and large, apart from the 1920, uh, 1920, the 19-20 season, uh, mm. they've got the better of Liverpool, and annoyingly so when Liverpool have been so good. How do you react to this entire treble and where it goes on the pantheon of good things in the soccer? Apathy, really. I think it was the the, the crushing inevitability of it all. Um some of the reactions to it, I'll get onto later, but it was, I don't know, I don't know, just everyone I spoke to about it, they were just like, kind of kind of knew it was coming. Um, for the fans, obviously, and for the players themselves, you know, hats off to them, but it's, 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 it's not like, it's, it's, not, it's not the fairy tale ending that some people are painting out as really, is it? Oh, it's historic though, only Man United doing it before then. Yeah, I know, but I, it's just made me even more angry that we were two results off a quad last year. We put everything <laughs> to bed, and instead, what did we get? We got the charity shield, and then we had a terrible season. But um, I don't know. It's just where does City go from here? They're already saying they might buy Gvardiol. And it's like, oh, great, fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> they need reinforcements, don't they? Definitely. So I think. <laughs> While for a lot of, I think I saw someone on the commentary saying this, like while it feels like when people get to the final, by and large, that's like the final destination for them. This felt like City being like, this is our first one of many. And mm. I think that's where, I think there was in the press this week, got, uh, Guardiola said he's going to leave in a couple of years time or something. So why not try and get the thruple? Let's talk in those terms, shall we, Jackins? Zinedine Zidane did it. Why can't Guardiola? Uh, I mean, he's, he's got everything at his, at his disposal. That means that he can easily do it. Um, although considering the moves Real Madrid are making in the transfer market I don't think it's going to be quite as easy not that it was easy for him this season but I just think it's it's going to become more aggressive between between the uh, upper echelon teams in Europe yeah, so you mentioned easy there. Jamie Carragher was saying that City's treble, because this has been doing my head in this week, this discourse about which treble is better, which is the more impressive achievement, Man United in 99 or Man City in 2023. Jamie Carragher saying it's City this season because they, ne- they were never really in jeopardy. like They didn't have to play as well and win games like as tight as Man United did back in the day. And this has been doing my nipples in, Jack Atkins. Let me tell you why. Because you just beat what's put in front of you, don't you? you just that's, mm. I think you can just look at them both like that. Oh, sorry. 
I'll get my hands level. My sense of balance and space awareness is terrible. My hands are level, if you can't really tell. I think they're on the same <laughs> pantheon in the achievements of football. I think they're both historical things, and they should be celebrated as that. Don't compare them, you twats. Yeah, just, just I mean, from fans of neither team, there's going to be a a conversation around it. But, like, for City fans, just, just enjoy it at the time. As for me, I'm probably going to see United... Well, I'm not really arsed either way. They both won the treble and my team haven't, so... This time, though, this time. Anyway, mm. back to the Europa Conference League final. It was a very frustrating game for West Ham because Fiorentina just put their foot on the ball and tried to stop the game, just like sort of like, knocked it round the back. That's exactly what they want. They were a typical Italian side yeah. on the night. Did you see yeah. the game? Yeah. Um, second half was a lot better than the first half. I'll just I'll, I'll be polite and saying it that way. But you n- nail on the head there. Typically defensively minded, build from the back Italian performance. But when West Ham were on the counter, it was just like galloping, swashbuckling football. Uh, it was a good game. I enjoyed I, it. I enjoyed it as well, especially yeah. after the first goal went in. Then the what's that? The dam was busted. That's a football terminology bit for you. Um, yeah, the game just opened up good and proper. Then it was it was pretty much a basketball game for the, the latter stages. Yeah. And for my money, Pakatar, um, we sell any car to Pakatar or however the chant goes. Uh, he was my man of the match. I thought he was all over the shop. Not in terms of you know his head going, just in fact mm. where his feet were on the pitch. It was all over all over the place. And he of course slipped uh, slipped in. Um, oh my God, I've, he's got gone blank. Jared Bowen. Gone blank. Yeah. It's a long, been a long Wednesday, let me tell you. Uh, Jared Bone, who slots that away, and David Moyes. I'd rather watch a packet of crisps blow down a street, ready salted as well, right, than listen to anything David Moyes has had to say ever. I think he's <laughs> one of the most boring, correct, what am I even trying to say here? Maybe I'm, I'm just the same as him. He's a boring bastard, isn't he, David Moyes? He's miserable. <laughs> He's horrible to listen to in the press. But watching him go radio rental down that touchline, not quite a full Mourinho, as he said himself, and then saying the stuff with his dad, like giving the dad who still goes, I think he's 86 years old and has hearing aids and stuff mm. like that, uh, still goes and watches his son's teams play, seeing the medal get put around David Moyes' dad's neck, and then just seeing David Moyes loosen up a bit, dancing like your mother at a wedding in the dressing rooms afterwards. It's been fantastic. That, David Moyes, my opinion of David Moyes has completely changed just off the bat of that final. <laughs> it's it, it's like we were saying before about City. You were saying what's next for City. I think this is a springboard for West Ham now because I think, apart from the European glory, they've not had a great season domestically when most of us thought they'd be flying. Um, obviously, Declan Rice looks like he's out the door for 100 mil. Rumours that James Ward-Prowse could be replacement for 50-odd mil. Which... I hate that price tag so much. I saw that last week, £52 million for James Ward-Prowse. I get he's very important to Southampton, and in terms of them, he's probably worth that to them, but he's not worth that to anybody else no. in the world of football. No, especially he's 28 going on 29, and he's just, you know, Southampton got relegated at the end of the day, but it's the English tax and... If they invest the money wisely, I don't see why they can't be going for top six next season. 
you think they have to be for David Moyes to keep his job? Because I think that really did save his job winning that final. Because oh, yeah. he's t- towards the end of the season, it's easy to say, but it, it did seem like he put all the eggs in the Europe Europa Conference League basket, if yeah. there even is a Europa Conference League basket. But yeah, that was the sober news for West Ham fans coming out the final. They're going radio rental celebrating their first trophy since 1903. And then David Sullivan the next morning went on Talk Sport. There was all this talk of like, oh, Declan Rice is West Ham forever. He's going to be there forever. This is the thing that'll keep him at the club. Then David Sullivan went on TalkSport and just said, yep, he wants to go. He's turned down our contract offer of £200,000 a week. It's cost him over £10 million in wages, he was saying, for De- uh, for Declan Rice to stay at West Ham. It looked like Bayern Munich was going to be the destination, but they've since pulled out, which looks like Arsenal is where Declan Rice is going to end up. Whoop, he's fallen down. Uh, that, that, was, uh, <laughs> that, that was me lowering my chair because I realised that my head was bobbing up the top quite a bit, a bit, a bit, too, a bit too quick. Audio listeners, uh, Jack Atkins just went from six foot four, stunning to a, a five foot seven man in a split, in a blink, in a, the blink of an eye. I can't get my words out today; it's going well. But anyway, Declan Rice to Arsenal. Do you think that's a good fit? Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we've been saying recently when we talk about teams in the season and that Arsenal have developed the youth well and they've invested well and they've built a good spine. And just adding Declan Rice to that mix, if they're looking to go one better than this season. Yeah, and like you said, it's English tax a little bit, a hundred million, but he's he's younger than I thought. That's I've got it here. Twenty four, I think he is. Twenty four, yeah. Um, so he's not even reaching his peak years yet. So if he can stay injury free and progress on what we've seen from at West Ham, could be a very important signing for Arsenal if Arsenal get it over the line. Yeah, that's a big if as well, because we've seen Arsenal miss out on a couple of players, obviously, in fairly recent times. The Caicedo from Brighton, they didn't get done. Mm. Uh, Mudrick as well, they won't be moaning about that one, the way he's been playing for Chelsea. But you think about Granit Xhaka, apparently he's off to Bayer Leverkusen this summer. So in terms of perfect replacements, what he was last season especially, because he really pulled his finger out of his arsehole to Granit Xhaka, and he was just, he was the leader that he seemed to be, well, that he thought he was in his own head, I think, because I go yeah. back to that interview he gave after Newcastle cost in the Champions League, fight, uh, sorry, Champions League position place in the Premier League, and he was doing some sort of rallying cry about players need to be tougher and this, that, and the other. I'm like, you've barely done that yourself, pal, but in terms of what he did last <laughs> season, Declan Rice seems like the perfect replacement for that. Jimmy Milner, he is Brazilian. We won't sell for twenty million on the wing. He's effing brilliant. Jimmy Jimmy Milner is what Newcastle fans used to sing before Mike Ashley sold him for twelve million behind Kevin Keegan's back. He's on the move again though in twenty twenty three. He signed a one year deal just before we came on the air this afternoon with Brighton. Uh, that's going to go through when his contract at Liverpool expires on the thirtieth of June. The thirty seven year old, this is what Brighton have been saying, arrives after eight years with the Reds, during which time he won the Premier League, the Champions League, the FA Cup. The European Super Cup and the Club World Cup. What a Brighton getting apart from a guy who's very good at a bleep test. <laughs> um, a utility man, um, a locker room leader, on the pitch. I don't know. There's we. There was the two schools of thought within Liverpool fans that I'd seen online. One half of us would were just like, we'd like to see him stay in the hopes of you know, bedding him into the coaching setup if he wanted to go down that route. Uh, and then the other half were just like, if we're offering a new deal to 37-year-old James Milner <laughs> and we're trying to, you know, get back to the top of the league. Uh, but what a, what a player he's been. We've, it's been on the cards this for a while, the Brighton move. Some of us uh, were ex- expecting 
before the season has just finished. We, we thought, oh, he'll probably end up at Leeds and then he stayed with us for another season. He's gone to Brighton. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not too sure what Brighton are getting from him. Like I said, I don't know. He's, he's obviously not going to be a starter unless something absolutely goes ballistic. But model professional James Milner won everything, been amazing for us. I can't believe it's been eight years. I remember... Um, when City were first starting to get flying and James Milner and that team, I thought he was absolutely amazing. I was made up when we signed him uh, on a free as well, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, hell of a player, hell of a player. you got to think about Brighton's first European campaign in terms of players mm. who maybe haven't been there and done it, who are currently at the club in terms, you know, you bring him in, he's been and done everything, hasn't he? So I think yeah. it makes sense on a lot of levels. Won't be a starter, but it'll be a handy guy to have around the place. And he's probably fitter than everybody else who's already at Brighton, as we see every preseason for Liverpool. Well, I just I was just having a look through Twitter. Then the rumours are that the Brighton are making a move for Justin Cliver as well. Oh, so, mm. what's happened to him? Is he, is he still at Roma? Yeah, he's still at Roma. But... Oh, oh. Mm. have to see what happens. If he's anything like his dad, he's a right hoot. There's a fantastic, I don't know if I should say this, I'll go for it. There's a famous fable around Newcastle upon time when uh, Patrick Cliver, Justin's dad, used to play for Newcastle. Apparently he called the police one morning and said, hello, I've been robbed, the burglars have turned me house upside down, please come over, I need you to do what you need to do in in the event of a burglary happening and a house being turned upside down. The police got there and checked the CCTV cameras and then they just showed that Patrick Cliver had a house party and drank so much that he forgot like he threw the house party and the mess and the stuff missing was all down to him. So that's a wonderful story about Patrick Clivert there when he played for Newcastle between 04 and 05. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a guy he seems like. Anyway, moving on in the transfer world, we have Real Madrid completing the signing of Jude Bellingham on a six-year deal, 103 million euros, which is 88.5 million pounds, just in case you're wondering. Um, he's 19 years of age. Apparently, he's going to be on 300,000 pounds a week. I'm just about to be sick in my chair right now. Uh, the Add-ons. There's add-ons which could be achieved. The deal could reach 133.9 million euros, which is 115 million pounds if those add-ons are achieved. Uh, Bellingham, of course, will be revealed as a Real Madrid player on Thursday. He's been speaking about it, saying, uh, thank you to everyone at Dortmund and the fans for everything over the past three years. It's been an honour to wear your jersey so many times in big and small moments. <laughs> That's a weird turn of phrase, isn't it? <laughs> Walking down the shops, an honour to wear this jersey. Uh, even though I look forward to my ne- next destination, I'll never forget the journey there. Once Barus, always Barus. That's what Tess Daly liked to say after an episode of Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> All the best for the future. <laughs> Come on. That's, that was pretty good. That was pretty Thank good. You. I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, yeah. None of this Claudia Winkleman nonsense. I d- I've got nothing against Claudia Winkleman. <laughs> I don't know why I even said that. <laughs> She's got lovely shiny hair, hasn't she? Yeah, it doesn't look real, that hair. It's, I think it's a fantastic head of hair. Yeah, it says me, who am I to be saying anything <laughs> to anyone? Anyway, Jude Bellingham, you must be crestfallen, heartbroken, devastated. Are you going to throw yourself off a, a metaphorical football supporting bridge? I've yeah. turned that sentence around. As soon as I started talking that sentence, I'd, you know what I'm... Anyway, save me, chat. Can... <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you said there, 300 grand a week. We were the heavy favourites for him for ages. You know, Jordan Henderson was taking him to the fair and all that stuff. Agent um, Trent on England duty. But we think that the wages, we, you can't match Madrid unless you're PSG, City, etc. Um, 
a section of our fan base were really angry about it because we're around in a very, we've spoken about it on here before, we're around in a very specific way that as a business, we're, we're tight, we're not in debt, We or if we do have debts, they're very minimal, uh, we run quite sensibly. But it's, you know, and obviously you look at Chelsea who just spunk money into a bin and don't get didn't get any results last season. But it's, it's nice to be able to be under the pretense that if there's a generational talent to be able to go, yeah, we'll buy him. Why not? Um, Madrid, though, that midfield they're building. I was saying, we were saying before about City and about, was it, Camavinga, Valverde, Chiromani. Cruz. And, yeah, Cruz still there. Modric still there. Uh, and now bailing up Jesus. Oh, it's disgusting, isn't it? And I saw they signed a left-back who, well, they brought back a left-back who would be, I think it was at Valladolid. I did a transfer roundup on Saturday on the channel. I spoke about him there. I've completely forgotten his name. Was it they it maybe they brought him back for like five million euros, and mm. that, that's a left back which is going to free up Camavinga to be a centre midfielder all the time once again, unless Carlo really likes him at left back, which I hope he doesn't because he's one hell of a, a centre midfielder. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's the young Galacticos this time round, isn't it? It's a uh, still a Galacticos approach, but the the age profile of him, like I said, Bellingham's nineteen. How old? Are the, I think there's like an average age of about twenty two in that midfield now. If you take out obviously Cruz and Modric, but yeah. It's, oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, he's already head and shoulders England's best, you know, because that's by and large where I've seen him play. I don't watch too much Bundesliga, but he's mm. already by far and away England's best midfielder. We spoke about how good Declan Rice is. Jude Bellingham can do everything Declan Rice can do and a little bit more. He's got more going forward, I would say. Um, so, yeah, it's one hell of a signing for Madrid. I can see why everyone in the world wanted him, but ultimately it comes down to that. They're cash money, doesn't it? I just hope he plays really badly for them and in two years' time he accepts a massive pay cut and joins Jurgen Klopp's Mustard Reds. But, uh... <laughs> I doubt that's going to happen. No, I've not seen, a, I've not seen him have flourish. a bad game so far. Have you seen him have a bad game ever? No, no. It's disgusting. No. It's, some people are just born with it, aren't they? And Jude Bellingham was most certainly one of those. And next up on the things... Relating to Liverpool in some form of fashion podcast, we have Celtic, who are close to finalising a deal to bring former Reds manager Brendan Rodgers back to the club. Rodgers, of course, was sacked by Leicester in April before they were relegated from the Premier League. He left Celtic first time around in the middle of the 18-19 season to join Leicester, with some Celtic fans unfurling banners, criticising him for a lack of loyalty. Um, Rodgers, who is a, a lifelong supporter of Celtic, spent four years up there for the first time, and he won just about everything. But I think there's an asterisk next to the most of those wins because Rangers weren't as close as they are now to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've I think we were mentioning this on the last podcast that from what I've seen online, there's a lot of Celtic fans who aren't very happy with this. Uh, I don't know if it's just because of the way that Rogers left that he used it as a stepping stone basically to get back to uh, a, a top table Premier League team or because it was a weird one when again I don't. I always bring it back to Liverpool, but that's just because it's my bread and butter. The the relationship he had with the Liverpool fans, like we always felt he was a bit of a knobhead, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's a great character. He's a wonderful human being. Like there was there was rumours spread around the city that Liverpool fans used to laugh at that he like. How am I going to word this? That he. It was a rumour, obviously, probably didn't happen. We'll throw it's the words allegedly out there, etc. But that he interfered with dogs. Uh, <laughs> so, what do you mean interfered with dogs? Like just nicked them from a garden, took them for a nice walk, or do you mean? Um, 
like the fictional character from Phoenix Knights, Keith Lard. Uh, oh, wait, Dog Nuns. Yes. <laughs> yes. What? And we used to laugh about it. We were like, yeah, of course he does. It's, it's Brendan Rogers, isn't it? Um, just on the on the dog stuff, right? It's amazing how footballers and dogs come together like they do because obviously when Roy Keane got sent home from the 2002 World Cup, he was back home and he spent a lot of time walking his dog. So when they're doing the news reports about, you know, the falling out Mick, McCar- Mick McCarthy and Roy Keane with had back in the day, a lot of the B-roll footage was of Roy Keane taking his dog for a walk. And off the back of that, Newcastle fans made up a chant for Roy Keane when he became Sunderland manager, which went as follows. Keane, he wanks his dogs, Keane. He wanks his dogs, Kino. He wanks his dogs, Kino. Kino! That's how it went. I saw... <laughs> hours that would last that chant. Hours. I saw a video on Instagram today of someone wanking a goldfish. Oh, my <laughs> God. How is that even possible? It's... Brendan Rogers is apparently going back to Celtic. <laughs> What's your thoughts on that? Um... Yeah, it's <laughs> it's Brendan Rogers, isn't it? I'm I'm surprised that he's not, you know, sniffed all this Saudi money in the air and done a Steven Gerrard and gone over there himself. But um, I don't know if if the fans don't take to him, I don't think he's going to last long. No, no, and that might be the spell that might spell the end of him as like you know. Premier League England, Premier League Scotland, that sort of top-level jobs. That could be the end yeah. of it. Because this has got to be about, I guess from his perspective, saving face now, because I thought it was clear at the end of his time at Leicester that he just was waiting for the sack, and yeah. it took them ages to get there, just the stuff he was saying in the press about not being backed and all that sort of stuff. But it feels like he, maybe from his perspective, if he goes back to Celtic and then re- recreates what he did the first time, and there's lots of pictures of his nice fake teeth with those lovely big silver trophies, that maybe someone will go, oh, he's not. As, that was just a blip at Leicester in that last season. Uh, maybe he, isn't, he hasn't lost everything already. <laughs> He's going to sign a Sunderland legend, Fabio Barini, and he's going to bring him to Celtic Park. <laughs> Terrible player, though, Fabio Barini, isn't he? Anyway, we move on now. I don't know what... I've got the Leeds news down here because it felt like a big deal on Twitter, but you know, reading the actual news, I don't know what we can comment on that. Leeds have confirmed an agreement between Azza Ventures or, yeah, and the 49ers Enterprises for the sale of the club. Things have happened. I don't know what that even means, to be honest with you, but we're waiting for the EFL to approve this sort of stuff. Um, yes, that's that's a thing that's happened in the world of football this week. And I thought I'd mention it, even though we're not businessmen or business graduates who could possibly comment on the ramifications of such a deal going through. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, you're, I share the same thoughts as you, Ross. <laughs> Boring, logistical bollocks. Let's just talk about dogs being, you know, pleasure, shall we? That's that's what we're here for, I guess, today. Yeah, why not? About it. I don't know. It feels weird going now. Have you seen the last stories in the news bit I sent you? It feels weird going from what we've just been talking about to the news that legendary AC Milan <laughs> president, leader, he took the club from rags to riches. Mr. Berlusconi passed away this week. It, we're, we're going all over the shop at the news this week. I famously loved a, a bunga bunga party, as he called it. <laughs> Did that involve dogs at all? Uh, involved prostitutes. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> You'll know more than this about me because you were around more in the nineties, I guess, and were more you know aware of what was going on. What was his? I just know the the you know the cliff notes of the story of him taking over Milan at mm. there and then taking them all the way up there to where they were when I was getting into football in the early noughties. What what your your memories of uh, Mr Berlusconi at AC Milan? 
at Milan itself, it was less about him and just being transfixed by the players on the team. Because uh, obviously, one of the videos that went up on the channel this week was yourself, Dan Heppel, and uh, Sausage King. What's the Sausage King thing about? He just loves he loves sausages. It's just his favourite food. Sausages are good, to be fair. They are really good, yeah. But when you were going over the the greatest um, teams of all time, uh, and like you said, in the nineties, AC Milan team were fantastic. As it got into the early two thousands. It was just, I, I've, I'm not a, you know, I, I don't believe in having two teams. But you know, when you go like league by league, and you're just like, oh, I'm just gonna pick a team to get behind in the Bundesliga or one in AC Milan for me in Italy. They just, it was a who's who, wasn't it? When you yeah. know, when I was first getting into football, you think of the Seedorf, Cattuso, Pirlo, mm. Mm. Costa Curta era, mm. as everyone calls it. <laughs> It was just a who's who of a, of a football team, wasn't it? Yeah, and then handsome Paolo Maldini at like 49 years old, still bossing the thing. Yeah, who uh, else was there? There was Nesta. Dida, I never, I never understood Dida. I thought he was massively overrated. I yeah. remember buying FIFA 2004, right, and starting a career mode with Hull City for some reason. And one of my first signings was Dida, who was rated on that game 91. I couldn't believe my eyes. You think back to Leeds and stuff, chucking it in his own net in the Champions League semifinals. I thought Dida was massively overrated. How did you get him at Hull? I don't know, just FIFA in it, not real. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, and some people need to realise that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, obviously Berlusconi was uh, Italian prime minister as well for a few years, and just... Uh, he, he, he was he was a controversial man. We'll, we'll say that, like I said before, Bunga Bunga... I saw Bunga Bunga trending on Twitter, and I clicked it, and everyone was saying, oh my God, the king of the Bunga Bunga party is dead. Um Long live the bunga bunga. There's a soundbite for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, just a, an odd man. But I think, <laughs> I think, I, I think to be successful, sometimes you got to be very, very odd, haven't you? Oh, big time. Mm. There's no such thing as a normal billionaire. That's what the famous saying always says, isn't it? Yeah. And elsewhere in, I was about to say elsewhere in death news. That's a very Unsensitive way to put it. Uh, yeah. Chelsea legend John Hollins has passed away today. Over 600 appearances for Chelsea. His son's on BBC Breakfast, or was up until very recently. Um, I don't know why I even mentioned that, but just, you know, condolences and thoughts are with his family and pals and all that stuff. That's the end of the news section. Bit of a depressing note, but we got to talk about dogs as well, so that's nice. The highlight of the week. It's now a chance to speak about, you'll never guess what, everybody, a highlight of the week. That was in the world of football. I'll let you go first this week, Jarkins. It was the uh, sight of was it seventy-one-year-old Claudio Ranieri crying his little eyes out after leading Cagliari back to Serie A. Uh, did you see this? I did see this. It was very emotional on the pitch, uh, wasn't it? It was wonderful. Yeah. So um, he, for those that are unaware, Claudio Ranieri, he joined Cagliari in December. They were fourteenth in Serie B. Guide them to a fifth place finish, overcame Parma in the playoff semis, then defeated Barry. Barry, I've got to say that Welsh. <laughs> 2 1 on aggregate across the two legs of the finals to secure promotion. And as soon as the whistle goes, he is just in floods of tears. And I've always liked Claudio Ranieri. He, he always seems like one of football's like nice guys. How can you hate him? Exactly. Um, I, I was rereading because I remember when Leicester sacked him at the time, being furious about it, saying, are you going to sack the man who got you the league? And he'd lost the dressing room and was tinkering with the tactics at the time. But still, 
the man got Leicester to the league and I think they treated him a bit crap. So it was nice to see him still having that passion, even though it was just promotion from Serie B to Serie A and he's won bigger things in his time. Like you're saying, just it's it's just one of those nice things that just makes you go, oh, cutting cutting onions in here, one of them. But, yeah, uh, it is yeah, one of them, but I, after the way he was treated at Leicester, because they, they've got, I think they got the quarterfinals of the Champions League that year. Obviously, Craig Shakespeare took over from him. But mm. the fact that we even in the Champions League and the fact that he even won the Premier League, he should have had a job there for life, yes. no matter how things were going. So I, up oh, the Claudio Ranieri. He was always one of those when you were growing up, when he, that he just, he didn't have that full grasp of English, but that added to how likable he was. <laughs> yeah, and and if he if he squinted, he kind of looked like he could be your nan. Uh, it's just. <laughs> I don't know what your nan looks like. And he doesn't really look like my nan. But, you know, you squint and think, oh, is that someone's nan over there in a nice suit? Oh, no, it's Claudio Ranieri. Yeah, it is Claudio Ranieri <laughs> and not your grandma. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> he's got grey hair and glasses. Therefore, he's your nan. <laughs> That's how it works. My highlight of the week has got to be the conduct of Jack Grealish. Now, I realise I'm speaking to the, the straight-edge scouser here on the podcast today. So, obviously, this pick won't be for everybody. Um, but just it's been really refreshing to see from the point of view of someone who does enjoy a wee alcoholic beverage, seeing Jack Grealish act like everybody who does enjoy a little drinky-poo from time to time would act after achieving something as historic as winning a treble in the football. Watching him not take his kit off for 48 hours after the game had ended, just drinking Grey Goose, calling himself the turkey, and how the turkey need water. <laughs> it's been really refreshing to see. There's not enough footage out there of footballers just acting like, I don't want to say normal, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. the stuff you see from your pals from time to time. It's, there's not enough of that. And just seeing him... <laughs> realise that he's going to get pelted because obviously footballers have this, you know, they are role models for the kids and all that sort of stuff. Him just looking that in the eye and going gulp with a bottle of Grey Goose has been refreshing to see, even though he must feel like a corpse as we're sat here right now on Wednesday afternoon. Um, I saw an interesting tweet as well about this, which I think I, I probably should bring up, how the media have been portraying Jack Grealish by and large, has been quite favourable. But spare a thought, like, if it was Raheem Sterling doing the same thing, you got to wonder what the sort of coverage would be like. Yeah. I, I'm I'm still waiting for the tabloids to jump all over this and I hope they don't spin this into a narrative of him being like, oh, the party boy, Jack Grealish. And all. Like you said, even though I don't drink myself, it's, yeah, because footballers are so trained in how to act in front of the media, just seeing someone, like, like you said, be a normal person, just be like, ah, I've just, you know, this is, this is, probably the highlight of my professional career I'm going to celebrate and you're like yeah as long as no one's getting hurt go for it exactly and no one has got hurt as far as we know apart from Jack Grealish's liver which apparently yeah. will not last uh, a few more years if he carries on <laughs> like this um, so it has been refreshing to see he must be feeling I think he's got a report for England duty this week as well so he's gone mm-hmm. straight from that weekend not really sleeping he said he was up for two days straight there's that footage I don't know if you saw when he's in his hotel room with his friend from home and his friend from home's just sat in the chair looking like not even a human being anymore, just like Gollum sat there just trying to cling on for dear life after what's been going on over the past couple of days. So yeah, it's just it's always nice when you see footballers do normal people stuff. If that makes any sense to anybody, I hope it does because it's just yeah. it, that's how you know. We by and large we would react in that sort of situation. You would obviously yeah. replace it with someone else. What would you replace it? What's your like vice in uh, life? That's a deep ch- question. Chocolate. chocolate. There you go. Yeah. But I wouldn't be sat there like Alan Partridge <laughs> four in the morning just stuffing Toblerone down my mouth. I, I, you know, I'd probably have a, 
a can of Red Bull and I'd be eating some dirty fried chicken at four in the morning thinking, why am I eating this? I mean, it's amazing, but it's also awful and I'm aware of the situation. But but it feels so nice going down, doesn't it? It feels oh, so it nice. Yeah. Uh, the twat of the week. I'll go first this time. I've got to give it all a collective twat of the week. Well, I was going to put Jay Comfrey because he's leaving BT Sport and, quite frankly, good riddance to bad rubbish. He was awful as a host. He claims he invented podcasts. It's that self-serving, wanky bollocks of, ooh, here are my world-class basics. I get up at 4 a.m. every single day because I'm a pretentious twat, and I'm better than you, and I think I'm better than you, so I'm going to tell you how I live my life so you live your life in the same way, even though it's impossible for any human being who has responsibilities to live their life that way. So good riddance to Jay Comfrey. But the entirety of that BT Sport coverage on Saturday is the the recipient of my twats of the week. Um, The fact that he was on there saying, oh, we're paying Mario Balotelli thousands to be here, and he's not saying a word. Des Kelly is probably the pick of the bunch as well. Getting his media armband signed by Ilkay Gundogan live on air. How unprofessional and how pathetic can you get <laughs> unless you're yeah. going to give it give it away i don't know if he is going to give it away i hope he was going to give it away to a good cause or something like that if he has done that fair play if he hasn't done that and if it was just for him to keep oh look at my big occasion being here at the champions league final get a grip with your des you weird old man and then we have rio <laughs> shouting english sesk english sesk while fabregas and his fellow countrymen rodri were having a nice moment together after rodri has won a champions league getting Grealish as well like they did the, the lad you could see it on his face he just wanted to go and just cry in a corner because he's realise the, the dream that we all have being football yeah. fans getting to a big club like that winning the Champions League winning the treble and they just kept pressing them and pressing them and pressing them every bloody mention of Fletch and Macker on commentary we've got to mention that when we mention BT Sports coverage well done CBS for saving football that night because watching Mika Richards obviously Kate Abdo Thierry Henry Jamie Carragher uh, just doing their stuff it was so refreshing to see I just I wish I could watch their coverage like live instead of having to put up with BT Sport here over in the UK Laura Woods spare a thought for her apparently she's taken over from Jay Comfrey uh, she announced today that she's leaving talk sports so she's got a lot of work to do yeah. over the summer to get that stuff right it's just it's really bad how bad it's, it's, yeah it's just it's BT sports coverage has been awful for a long time, and I thought that was the the cherry on top of the cake. It it, it was weird, like you were saying, what they did with Grealish, because I remember when when Liverpool won the Champions League the other year, Des Kelly had I think Salah and Trent for a, ready for an interview, and then saw that all the team were running towards the Liverpool fans, and he let them go straight away. He went, "Don't worry, lads, go enjoy the moment." So yeah. to see that they've kind of now they're just like, "No, we need the content. Get here, don't." Don't celebrate. We need to know your thought. Yeah, it was a bit, just a bit grubby, wasn't it? It was grubby and just unprofessional and just crap. It's just, it is crap. It feels like us two, right? If us two were given, you know, a million pound a season to go and cover European football all around Europe, that's what we would produce. And we yeah. shouldn't be saying that about professional presenters, especially ones as pretentious as Jay Comfrey. <laughs> Who, let's not forget, used to be on CBBC. So yeah. you talk about your world-class basics. I know you've got to take those steps to get to where he is and where he's been with the F1 and whatnot. But don't forget your roots, Jake. You know, you were on there with Arthur the Aardvark, you idiot. Yeah, we you need, take that. Yeah. We, we need to get news rounds, Lizo Mizimba. We need to get him in the BT Sports studio. He'll oh, study oh. last year. 
Michaela Strachan, that's where it's at. The really <laughs> wild show. That that was the... Oh, Mark, no, uh, not Mark Spate. He passed away, didn't he? Rest in peace. What was it called? Off Air Heart Attack. Neil Buchanan. Yeah. Get him away from his rock band Marseille that I saw at my freshers in 2011 and get him on BT Sport. <laughs> Let's have the coverage in the form of like art pieces that are made out of T-shirts. A thousand T-shirts to make a bit of analysis for a Champions League final. That's what we want. So we go live to Des Kelly, and Des, you've made a hat out of dried pasta. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, Ilkay, will you sign me pasta hat? If he did it like that, more shamelessly than he did, I'd be yeah. on board. But yeah, down with the BT Sports coverage, up with the CBS. They're brilliant. Um, so all the best to Laura Woods as well, who's taken over from Jake Humphrey. Yeah. <laughs> Who's your twat of the week? It's uh, it's Bernardo Silva. Um, <laughs> Shock. Sort of, actually. It's 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 close. It, it, it's kind of a spin-off from yours. It's been the the reaction to Man City winning the Champions League. I'm like, I'm not taking anything away from the players. Not taking anything away from Pep. The campaign. Um, you know, the fans go for it. But the way it's been spun, like we're saying, I, I saw someone like um. And this isn't the, the Grealish bit where he's talking to Thierry Henry, but on Twitter saying, well, it's Kyle Walker, the best right back ever. It's like, no. Is Pep the best manager ever, etc. I'm like... Not yet. He could be. He could be. It was nice seeing unity from Man United and Liverpool fans actually coming together like Crips and Bloods and saying, <laughs> nah, uh, Alex Ferguson and Bob Paisley were better. And then that would break down into Man U and Liverpool fans squabbling about who's the better of the two. But like I mentioned it before, acting as if City's is a, a fairy tale story about grit and determination and pulling up your socks. Someone's like, oh, look, look at the way they do Isn't this, oh, isn't this historic and wonderful? And it's like, mm. this same week I saw a Guardian headline and it was along the lines of, um, the Saudis have taken golf. Will your favorite sport put up more of a fight? And we've already this, lost that fight a long time ago. It's yeah. Just, yeah. So, like I said, the actual achievements of the team and for them, fine. But just the, the gushing of praise, a little bit of this is sour grapes as a Liverpool fan, of course, but it just didn't quite sit right with me. It's like the Wrexham documentary, how they speak about Wrexham being this massive underdog story while mm. having more money than the rest of like league, well, the conference league one and league two combined, probably uh, mm. backing them up the league. Um, you know, it, this this stuff about money in football, and obviously the, the where the money comes from is a separate issue, but this stuff about Man City buying the Champions League, which they have done, my United did as well, let's not forget. Oh, I yeah. hate this narrative. You go back to the 90s and look at all the record transfer fees season by season. By and large, it's Man United buying the superstar of the day. You go back to 94, 95, whatever it was, when they signed Andy Cole for $7 million mm-hmm. from us. They have always been buying massive players. The fact that I see people like Goldbridge on social media going, oh, it's uh, tradition and history over just modern money and whatnot. Yeah, you've always had the money, though. It's always been there, just obviously yeah. not as egregious as we see it now in Manchester City, signing multiple big players every Every single year, it's 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 always been the way that whoever spends the most on wages will win the league. Obviously, Blackburn yeah. won the league back in the early nineties because they spent the most. It's it's no, it's not a problem for me. The the spending side of it because that's always going to be a factor in football. But it's just the way that everyone's acting like ah, oh, like they're the little engine that could. It's like not really like. I like guess it, if, if you're a City fan of a certain vintage, I guess that might apply. Just seeing what's yeah. happened to the team that was in League One in the late 90s, for example. 
But I mean, say if when Newcastle inevitably bulldoze everything and win everything, as much as you'll be celebrating, I'm sure there'd be a, a part of you if you started seeing things like, ah, oh, Bobby's looking down with a tear in his eye and you'd probably be like, Mm, kinda. He used you know to, I mean. to be fair, Bobby Robson used to love a summer holiday in Riyadh. He used yeah. to love a summer jaunt in Riyadh. Yeah, yeah. Jeddah, he had a winter home there. You know, he'd go over there for the family and, and spend Christmas in Jeddah. Yeah. Um, no, it's you don't think about money, do you, in football? Like mm-hmm. when you watch your team doing well, that's the team that you know I've supported since you know whatever nineteen ninety seven or whatever. I've been there, um, just watching Newcastle from afar. It's just you never think about where. How, where the success has come from, you just see the black and white stripes or the blue of Manchester City and go, oh, that's the team I've supported all my life. They're doing well. Yeah. So it's weird when it's, I can see obviously when it's somebody else's team or having that view, but when it is your team, I'm sure that Liverpool, you know, Liverpool aren't, you know, in the same bracket as Manchester City, but you know, there's got to be money involved somewhere along the line, isn't there? Oh God, uh, yeah. I mean, after, after we had all our recent success, a lot of people were thanking Philip Coutinho for going to Barcelona because obviously <laughs> off the back of that, we signed, we signed Alisson and Van Dijk. Uh, and transformed our team but um yeah it's like i said a bit of a mixed message for me oh who'd have thought but <laughs> it, it it's less the fact that city is city but it's more the fact that everyone's all, all the major articles are acting like they're not if that makes any yeah, sense yeah yeah i think my narrative for the final was pep guardiola not making a massive twat of himself Go back yeah. to 2021's final, try to do try to do the Ranieri, dilly ding, dilly dong, tinkering with his starting eleven, taking Rodri out, the conductor, the guy who makes them tick. He started him this time around. Look what happened. He learned from his mistakes. That's my narrative for the final. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's it's it. it we just we're just gonna have to get used to it, aren't we? This is this is City's time. I think I can't see when it's gonna end, really. Me neither, but no. it has. It's just you know, you sit there as a Liverpool fan, just going, "Oh yeah, just gonna have to get used to it." This is imagine being a club, a fan of the club from outside the traditional top four. What it's mm. been like for the past twenty years? It's been disgusting to sit there and watch you rich cats. Then you try and bugger off and form your own league. You're, you should be ashamed. Oh, well, of I, w- I was. Yeah, should be ashamed. I was close to handing me badging off. I was so <laughs> glad that. Went tits up, but yeah. Um, I can't wait for just... that to come back because it feels like it's not properly gone away, like fully gone away. I know it'll get battered down again, but it feels like those in power positions are still working on something like that behind the scenes. As long as Barcelona are skins and Real Madrid are greedy, it's going to still come up because they're, the, they're the two main drivers behind it now, aren't they, really? So it's, it's going to come up in some way, some shape and some form. I mean, the Premier League is was that idea basically, wasn't it, in the in the nineties. So yeah. there's always going to be an evolution of it, but who knows? Right. We now move on to the Roberto Mail Baggio. The onion bag. The mailbag section of the podcast. <laughs> Ross at holdandgive.com if you want to send an email and have it read out on the podcast. Let's kick things off with a bit of a continuation from last week's Roberto Mail Baggio. God, that's a mouthful. Hi, guys. Hope you're doing well. Been loving the podcast and the content content generally. I heard your call to arms to hear from a Scottish fan who isn't either a Celtic or Rangers, and I'm here to do just that. Admittedly, I'm a Hearts fan, so we're just the tier below those two teams in size, so I'd also like to hear from others. In regards to what Jack said about have more people chosen to watch rugby, etc., etc., in actuality, uh, the Scottish League is the highest attendance league per capita in Europe. This season, just under 4 million fans went to Scottish games 
games uh, for a nation of just under 6 million. It's not bad going. That is really good going. That is, I can, yeah. I can understand why English fans look down on the game, but from our perspective, it's a lot more real. It's tangible. Yes, for 99% of clubs in Scotland, we're never going to win in the top, uh, never going to win the top flight. I think that we all accept that. And it's uh, the disparity is very depressing, but that's a discussion for another day. I guess that is. It's the, it's the dividend, the funds, isn't it? It's always going to go to salary yeah. ranges for stuff like that. Uh, but due to how much clubs rely on fans going to the game instead of global recognition, we'll feel closer and have more of a clear impact on the clubs. Additionally, I get that many players have come from England and done well up here, but Christ, there's also a laundry list of those who uh, would be an easy ride and has been disastrous. Shane Duffy at Celtic, Joey Barton at Rangers, wasn't it? Uh, Glenn mm-hmm. Whelan, Jules uh, Pereira, Timu Puki. He was at Celtic, wasn't he, before doing stuff at Norwich? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ahmad Diallo, who's been doing stuff at uh, Sunderland, and obviously Matty Longstaff at well, I think he was at Aberdeen, I think, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, from Newcastle, uh, off the top of the, uh, off the top of my head. So it's not as cut as dry as some may think. Hope this answers a few questions. Cheers, Daniel. I guess that would be it, wouldn't it? Just when you are not getting money from, you know, other sources, you put yeah. your money at the club and seeing that do things must be quite nice. Yeah, it's, it's kind of wheeling back to what you were just saying about the European Super League then. There was... My friends and I were having discussions saying if this goes through, like, do we hitch our wagon to Tramia or do we go non-league? Like, there's like Prescott Cables and stuff around here, or is that just Prescott Cables? Is a football team around there? Yeah. Wow, what a name that is. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And there's Marine as well, which is um, based. Where about are they? They were in the FA Cup against. Was it? Was that the team against Spurs? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Marine, yeah. Um, and I, I've I've met Marine fans before, and like you said, it, it, it's it's the idea of the the traditional the football club being the fans as well. It is a club that you are a partnership of and a member of, and yeah, it must it must be a rewarding experience. Like um, who's that? Was that Daniel? Yeah, Daniel said there, feeling a closer connection with it because you you'll know as well as I do it being referred to as customers and not fans and all this stuff. It's it's not very nice. Yeah, it does. So, yeah. Reading that email there about the, the fans going as well in terms of the per capita you know, population as well. That's, that's amazing, a, that's a yeah. Mind-blowing start, that. But it is that thing. It's like I've, I've you, you support a team, don't you? You're not part of a club, which I guess is why every club is called a football club because of how yeah. it used to be way back in the day. So, yeah. Cheers, Daniel, for setting us right. Hello, Mr. Holden. Give the next email starts. Loving the content so far and keep up the good work. My question is regarding the debate of a European place versus a trophy. As a lifelong Arsenal fan, I had the 20-year spell of no trophy but Champions League football every year under Arsene Wenger, which is discussed as an achievement in hindsight considering the finances available. I got everything taken away because that new bloody stadium, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Did wonders at Arsene Wenger. Uh, but there was no better feeling than that first FA Cup to end the years of no trophies. What would you prefer your club to focus on if they could only have won a trophy or a European place? And how do you feel about uh, that the domestic cups are oft, uh, often get forgotten as it is more lucrative to get into Europe than win a trophy? Thanks. And that's from Ben. Now, this is weird because we've got a Newcastle fan who win nout and we've got a Liverpool fan who win most. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll so, let you go first, Ross. I'll let you go first. Trophies, in it? Every time. Mm. I would take... There was that year when Birmingham won the League Cup but also got relegated. I would yeah. take a season like that rather than maybe not finishing top four because that's like a silly debate, but that is the debate we're asking here, isn't it? Um, 
it's a trophy. It's that's what the success of football teams are based on. I don't care who it was in the press recently saying it's not based on that. I think it was Pochettino, was it, who in recent years has said uh, success isn't just based on trophies in the cabinet, but it is. That's what yeah. we all just you want. To win. That's what you're in football for is to win pr- uh, prizes. When you're at a club like Newcastle, the stage we're at this season, getting in the Champions League, it does feel like we've actually achieved something. Well, we didn't get a trophy for just finishing fourth place, but in years to come. The pressure's going to get on and on and on to, for us to win trophies. And I just think, if given the choice between a European place and a trophy, you take a trophy, no matter if it's the Premier League or the Champions League or a League Cup or an FA Cup. If it's a Community Shield, I'll take or leave that. That doesn't matter. That's a friendly. That's nothing to gloat about. But everything <laughs> else, domestic or European, is a trophy every day. For me, it's a European place as opposed, oh! to, a, as opposed to a domestic trophy. I mean... Is that because you've won them all, like, you know, so many times already. Just because of the avenues that being in Europe opens up uh, and, you know, the... I don't want to bring it back to money and signings because that's not what football's about, but being able to have those extra... I'm going to sound like a wanker now. Those extra, <laughs> extra you know, streams of revenue and all that stuff and being able to attract the best players and hopefully play the best football. Um, I was saying the other year, though, before we won the FA Cup last season, that it had been years. And I was just, I was saying to some of like, oh, I do fancy an FA Cup. But for us, for Liverpool fans especially, because the thing for us is we, we've had great successes in the Champions League. So it, it is that European heritage. And when we're not in Europe at all, it's miserable. And... We're in the Europa League this season and obviously we'd rather be in the Champions League. It did feel weirdly like a defeat, but that's only because of how good we've been these last few seasons. But I suppose it's one to the other though, isn't it? We'd rather have a European place with the view of winning whatever European competition we're in. Um, but yeah, and for the for the second part of Ben's question there about the domestic cups getting more forgotten... Again, it's a weird one because we were one of those teams that often gets the finger of blame pointed at us for playing the kids in, in the trophies. And for us, because we've built a bigger squad or we had in, in years past, we like those early rounds because we can see our backup keepers and kids and stuff getting uh, blooded in. I I was at the Liverpool-Arsenal League Cup game uh, November 2019. The mad one was at 5-5. My memory yeah, is like that, awful. Yeah. Like I said last week, I need to get on the Omega 3s. <laughs> but I, was, I, I went with my mate Tom, who's an Arsenal fan, and we were just sat there watching it, just saying, this is brilliant. And it was watching the kids. It was I saw Martinelli at the time. My mate was saying, he's one for the future in and proven right. So I do like the cup runs, but it is a bit of a shame to see that they are, for most people, a bit... I think it's the mixture of it being fodder and again, coming back around to it, the, the fact that City have just dominated the Cups for large parts of these last few years. There's a couple more different teams winning and getting up there, but it just feels like an exercise to them. Yeah, we need what we need for the Cups from to get back to where they were, you know, back in the 80s and whatnot, because the FA Cup was arguably bigger than winning the league, wasn't it? To get to the FA Cup final down at Wembley, yeah. all that good stuff. We need more money in it, because that's all it boils down to. It's just the fact that, you know, for a Premier League place, for the, you know, because by and large, a Premier League team 
you know, gets to the latter stages more often than not. Mm. You get more money for a higher Premier League place than you do for an FA Cup win. So I think yeah. if we get if we get more money in the FA Cup and maybe more ramifications if you win the thing or get to the final of the thing, you know, maybe you get like a, a conference league spot or something like that. I don't know if that'll ever be a possibility. Um more financial gain for teams means teams will take it more seriously because it's always the case, isn't it? Teams always start off not giving a toss about the cup runs by and large. I don't think any team just sets up going, yes, we're going to play our strongest team every single game all the way through the cup. They've always, it's all like when you get to the quarterfinals then you start taking it seriously, then you, just, then you go all in um, in some cases. Um, but if we had that, that financial thing there for the clubs that's more on par with you know a Premier League, not not saying like a Premier League final place finish price kitty, so to speak, but if it was just up there, I think teams would take it more seriously because I think that's, going back to your point about playing the kids in the earlier rounds, that, that sets the stall out, especially in the League Cup, I mm. think. Because yeah. um, if teams just took it seriously from the get-go because they had that little carrot or the massive carrot at the end of the fishing line dangling there in front of them, that would be that would be how it's set it right. But again, does that then make you think about what Spain and Italy have done with their cups and hosting the finals in Saudi Arabia? Mm, hopefully not. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd like to. See, I don't think this is going to happen because they need to get the revenue. I'd like to see the semi-finals moved out of Wembley. Yeah. Um, even if they give it to Cardiff in the Millennium Stadium, so it's like right, if you get to the semis you've got a trip to Cardiff and then if you get to the finals, you've got a trip to Wembley. Yeah. But I, I don't know how much that would uh, incentivize a team or a fan base, but it just change it up a bit, make, make it a bit more interesting. Yeah, because it well, it's, it's the case for every single team. I don't care how big they are. Once you get to those semifinals and finals, you're all in. You're, you're gagging mm. to win the thing, aren't you? Oh, yeah. As I found out in my horrible, horrible disaster this, this season with Newcastle. You'll bounce back. It was this dev was devastating though. We didn't turn up. We didn't lay a glove on them. No, you didn't. And they were there for the taking. They were. I'll read the final email starts. <laughs> Following on for a question in last week's podcast about the disdain for Scottish football compared to the Premier League. Why, in your opinion, are some competitions seen as inferior? I should have read these before putting them in there. Uh, for example, the League Cup is often called the Mickey Mouse Cup compared to the FA Cup. But once you reach the fifth round, there's little if any non-league involvement anyway. When West Ham won the UEFA Conference League on Wednesday night, it was described as a tin pot trophy when, prize, when the prize for winning in brackets of Europa League place is the same as the FA Cup. Could it just be that all football fans are arseholes? Probably. Thank you for the podcast. Never knew I needed. All the best. And how we're the lads from Jasper. Thank you very much, Jasper. That's an interesting point about the the League Cup always being seen as the inferior one to the FA Cup. Is yeah. that just down to the fact that the FA Cup encapsulates the entirety of the football pyramid at the start of it? I know people don't really give a toss about the stuff that happens before Christmas. It's always mm. the third round onwards. But is that, in my mind, I think that's what separates the FA Cup from the the League Cup is just the magic of, you know, you're having Waterlooville's getting to where they wouldn't get because they're not in the League Cup. Yeah, I, and to go back to what you're saying, is, uh, could it just be all football fans are arseholes? I, I think there is an element of, it is that snobbery about it as well. Because, um, yeah, like we, we always said, oh, you know, the, the League Cup's a Mickey Mouse Cup. But when we beat... Was it uh, when we beat Swansea for it? Two thousand and oh, when we beat Cardiff, Cardiff, my memory, yeah. <laughs> oh my I, god! I, I didn't know that because I lived with a Liverpool fan at the time, and he was um, he he was going mad in that front room. Let me tell you, I was pounding sure, wasn't it? We had a, we had a party in my mate's house, and it was such a brilliant day. Because you you were crap that season, weren't we? You? Were terrible under yeah. Kenny Daglish, yeah. 
Um, but we, we made the FA Cup final that year as well against uh, Chelsea, I want to say. Yeah, because we beat Everton in the semis to get there. Get me on the Omega 3. Jesus, this is years <laughs> of blunt force trauma starting to play out now. But when we when we won it, like you said, we, we hadn't really won anything for a few years. We were coming over the hump of being a Roy Hodgson Liverpool team. And it was a great feeling. Winning any trophy feels great. Like yeah. the only thing we won this season was the Community Shield. And if it was lovely because we beat City the first game in the season, for here we go. The league's ours this year. But anything will feel tin pot until, like you said, until you get to the semis or the quarters or the finals. And you're just like, oh, go on now. Now we're interested. Tell you what doesn't help the League Cup as well is the fact the finals in February. Who mm. wants a final in February? One of them may, don't you? Yeah. Then again, that brings up another issue about you know scheduling and players burning out and all that sort of stuff. So you can see why they hold it when they do hold it. But I think that's another thing that doesn't have the League Cup on the same sort of level as the FA Cup in people's perspective. How come? Um, how come the Conference League came between the Europa League and Champions League final? Because usually it seems like it's a progression of importance, but it seemed like it went, oh, here's the Europa League. Oh, we've got to get the Conference League in there, and then it just I've seemed weirdly no staggered. It was yeah. a bit odd, wasn't it? Yeah. You think it would, because it is definitely the third, you know, most pre- prestigious European trophy, which was bought around mm. just to make a bit more money and make the players work a bit harder, I guess. But yeah, yeah, I don't know the answer to that question. If anyone knows in the comments or listen to the podcast on the audio feeds, get in contact. Let us know with some intel. We end. Thank you very much for those questions, by the way. Ross at Hold and Give, if you want to have your question read out on next week's Roberto Mailbaggio. It's getting easier every time I say it. But we end with a big question. It surrounds Kylian Mbappe. Uh, the following comes from The Guardian, who I think have written things up quite succinctly. They say Kylian Mbappe will leave Paris Saint-Germain next summer, but not before if Kylian Mbappe is to be believed. Within one hour of his camp releasing a statement announcing he had no intention of continuing at the club beyond the end of his contract, which expires in 2024, the France striker responded to reports that he wants to join Real Madrid immediately and by, uh, by dismissing them as lies and insisting this is a direct quote from Mbappe. I already said that I will continue at PSG next season where I am very happy. Mbappe's statement comes close to as a direct challenge to the PSG hierarchy who are determined not to lose him for free in a year's time as the standoff develops. The first step in a long old summer. It looks like this comes from a report from Le Keep on Monday who said that Mbappe had written to PSG to inform them he was not going to exercise the option to expend his, extend his contract beyond 2024. In a statement released yesterday on uh, through AFP, his camp said that he had told PSG board as far back as the 15th of July 2022 which is, oh, well, it's, uh, yeah, about a year ago, well, just short mm. of a year ago now, uh, shortly after signing the original deal, which was for two years with an optional extra year. Since then, it's claimed there'd be no meaningful negotiations over an extension, and he had no intention of continuing beyond June next year. Real Madrid had hoped to move for Mbappe next summer, according to The Guardian once again, um, particularly after Karim Benzema had uh, left the club to go to Saudi Arabia this summer. The Spanish club, though, remained reluctant to be drawn into another battle, having filled with a €200 million Euro bid to sign him in 2021 and again in 2022 as his contract was coming to an end when they believed he could join them on a free transfer. So what the hell will happen with Kylian Mbappe? Jackins, tell me so I can put some money on. He's going <laughs> to end up at Madrid, isn't he? Yeah. Um, And then that has me wondering, has anyone looked into Real Madrid's books? <laughs> because something New stadium. Doesn't... Yeah. 103 million plus add-ons for Bellingham already this summer. You go yeah. back to last summer for uh, Chiuamani. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't know how much they pay for Camavinga, but it's got to be up there, hasn't it? And, and the, you know, they were crying about the Super League saying, oh, but we need the Super League because we've only got 20 quid. Bloody hell. If they do get Mbappe, that's... I don't even think I'm going to bother watching European football yeah. because it's just going to be Madrid versus City, isn't it? Unless something bizarre happens. But Hey, I bet people were saying this back in 09 when they signed Ronaldo and Xavi Alonso and whoever else, Benzema and whoever True. else it was that summer. Yeah. And look what happened there. Inter Milan won the bloody thing the season after, didn't they? That's fair. I think it's super interesting just the fact that apparently when he signed that new deal in, in I think it was around about April, May time of 2022, killing Mbappe this is, like he, he was apparently given the keys to the Paris Saint-Germain kingdom. He was basically appointed chairman without being given that title, wasn't he? He had, he yeah. had uh, saying runnings of the club, which he's not going to get anywhere else. So I find it very interesting that he wants to wants to leave. He just must be bored is the only yeah. thing I can think <laughs> of. Because um, we were joking the other week when Messi gone to into Miami hasn't he and we're saying oh this would be Mbappe made up that he's the he's the top dog again but he's clearly he just can't what am I doing here this is, yeah. this is boring but the prospect of him at Madrid is terrifying but I'd rather him at Madrid than at City or at United I know some United fans were thinking oh if they get the potential um, sale of the club through, through the door and through the window whatever if they get that signed off on the dotted line before the window closes that they could go in from Mbappe but he's a hell of a player I remember I'd it was the 2018 World Cup wasn't it 2018 in Russia yeah how bad is how bad am I I remember it was the first time I was getting a look at Mbappe because you're hearing all this stuff and you're seeing glimpses of him before he joined PSG and seeing bits of him thinking, this 17-year-old's amazing. But that was the first time where I was like, right, I'm going to sit down and watch this lad and see what he's like. And I just remember sitting there going, jeez, just the pace on him. He's, yeah. He terrifies me as a player. He's fantastic. Um, obviously, before before Bellingham, there was the old Mbappe 2022 uh, and Mbappe 2020 to Liverpool. That's never happened. The amount of wages that Madrid or City or... Bayern Munich might even try and get in there, but I doubt it. The, the amount of wages they can offer him just blow everyone out of the water. I reckon he would love a pint at the Quayside Weatherspoons. Yeah, get him up to Newcastle. We we're in that bracket of teams who can afford him. Let's go for it. Why the hell not? Let's sign nobody else this summer and just put all our eggs in a Kylian Mbappe basket. But if if I had to hold a gun <laughs> to your head now and say where's he go? What what when it comes to whenever it ends in 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 France, the transfer window, where's hmm. he going to be? This on season? Se- on September the 2nd, 2023. I don't know when it ends in France this year. He'll be in Paris, but with a pre-agreement somewhere else. Oh, he's going to stay there for the season, you reckon? I think. Do you yeah. think they'll try and force him out the door and try and recoup some money? They might, but if you say, if if he's got the power that we believe that he does in the club, he might be like, no, nah, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to wait, leave on a free and get a golden handshake when I join and get, I don't know, a, a small island for just for signing somewhere. So he, he could end up in the Saudi league. Who knows? Oh my God. That is the end of football. If he does, I understand Benzema and N'Golo Kante going there at the end of the career, having achieved everything in the game, mm. but you can't, uh, he must only be 23, 24 himself, killing him back, but you can't have someone that age ah, of up. that profile going to the Saudi Arabia league. That's, that's, that's not right. It would be a, it'd definitely be a shame. I'm it would up. be a massive shame. 
Yeah, he's 24. 24, at least 10 years until he goes there. Yeah. Surely. Please, Killian. Please, Killian, don't go. Because um, it would be a shame not to see him achieve. Because he's, I don't think he's won a Champions League yet, obviously, has he not been? No, no. Came close with, well, close ish with Monaco all the way back in the day, but not really close. Well, yeah, the final did he with Paris Saint Germain? Yeah. The lockdown final, which I always forget that happened. Was that against Bayern Munich? That season is just. <laughs> ah, I've, I've... Who knows? Who knows? I can, I can, I can barely remember good football. Never mind crap football when there's no one there. Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you what, though, I did find it interesting. Now he just said, like, oh, yeah, those reports about me want to go to Madrid now are lies, but the rest of it's completely true, so I'll see you later, lads. <laughs> At least he's not denying that part. Because um, in- I think it's an interesting one from his perspective as well, because obviously you hear about Bosman transfers going through and that meaning more wages for the players because there's no transfer fee involved, so they mm. give the transfer fee money to the player. How much money could he potentially be on if he does go on a Bosman transfer? Oh, God. God knows. How much-, a- how much did we say that? Bellingham's going for three hundred grand. Three hundred grand, apparently, at nineteen years old. And how much? It's got to be at least. We're probably talking three, three, three quarters, quarters of, of a million a week. I reckon, yeah, because <laughs> he's probably on about five hundred grand now, isn't he? Plus his boot deal with Nike or whoever he's with. I think he's with Nike. Plus his, I don't know. He's his a Chevron's, Pepsi ambassador, isn't he? His Givenchy sponsorship. I don't know what he's with. Yeah. Aye, <laughs> right, but there we go. Kylian Mbappe could well leave uh, sorry, Paris Saint-Germain this summer with Real Madrid looking like maybe the only destination in world football. I can't wait for the ramifications, not only from the Manchester City uh, investigation, the 115 charges, wherever it is. Hmm. Also, Chelsea, when they get looked at their books from the past year, I can't wait for that one. And then obviously Real Madrid. If this one goes through on top of Bellingham and on top of their stadium getting completely redeveloped as well, it's going to be an interesting time for all football fans. Yeah, uh, interesting you say about Chelsea, going back to what we were saying earlier about Declan Rice for 100 million. I think part of that is the fact that Chelsea, it looked like the market was stabilising again. And it was like, okay, we're not paying silly money for players. And okay, Chelsea have just, they've ruined the market again. So yeah, it'll be, a, it'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, something's, I was going to say something's got to happen, but it's not going to. So. It might happen, you never know. I hope they make an example out of a team soon, just to see what would happen. Yeah, just you, you better pray it's not your team. I mean, you haven't done anything <laughs> yet, but everyone's hey, going for you. We're doing things by the book, apparently. Also, yeah. I'm being told this this deal with Seller, who didn't have a website or something last week, is completely above board. I think there's, there's something to say about that, because like, obviously 25 million a season is still less than what Arsenal and Spurs get from their front of shirt sponsors. So we're not mm. we're not fully taking the piss with this deal, by the way. Yeah. Just to, to defend everything that's going on with Newcastle United at the minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah you've, done, you've done it the right... Apart from spaffing all that money on Anthony Gordon, you've done it by the book, it seems... You mean England under-21 international prestigious talent, Anthony Gordon? The very same, yeah. It's a fair market price. He hasn't <laughs> been a flop so far. He has been a massive flop so far. He's a very frustrating guy to watch, let me tell you. But mm. hopefully, with a pre-season under anyhow, he comes good next season. But that yeah. is it. We've gone from killing Mbappe to Anthony Gordon in the space of a blink of an eye, which is exactly the same thing in terms of footballers. So there we go. That was episode four. Is it four? Yeah, it is four of the Holding Game Football podcast. Any closing remarks before we go away? I'm going to bully you to do uh, what happened to that wonder kid next week. Yes, yes, yes. We were talking about this. I've had one in mind for a few weeks, but a little peek at how the sausage is made. When we were putting together a, a format before the first episode, and we came up with 
what happened to that wonder kid? And we said, well, we might run it weekly. We might run it fortnightly. We might run it, you know, once a month. And obviously now that the season's all but over and we're going into international stuff, we're going to need some stuff to talk about, which isn't just potential transfers next week. So yeah. what happened to that wonder kid's going to come back? There you go. There's the yeah. juicy carrot on the end of the fishing line. That is episode five of the Holding Give Football podcast. But that was number four. I've got nothing left to say. So we'll just go away and enjoy the, the, enjoy the sun. That's why I'm so pink again, everybody. 20 minutes in the sun for me is a lifetime for others. So there we go. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Ross at HoldingGive.com is your Roberto Mailbaggio address. That's it. We'll end it there. We'll see if this records because we got booted off halfway through. So I don't know if this has even been recording properly or not. So here's some here's some fun times ahead. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>